Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Fundamentalists Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Elliot Morgan, and I'm here with your second host, Dr. Peter Rollins. Today, we're going to be discussing Hello. Noam Chomsky. We're going to be discussing Lacan, Foucault, Foucault, however you say his name, maybe even a little bit of Zizek. We're going to be talking about things like postmodernism, things like justice and power, and other ideas that I'm not entirely sure what they mean. The reason we're talking about this this week, folks, is because uh, Chomsky is one of those names I hear all the time. They'll pop up in everything from intellectual discourse to some of my favorite rap lyrics, namely, Run the Jewels. Such lines as, I'm reading Chomsky, I'm reading Bukowski, something like that. Anyway, I hear his name all the time, and I never hear my buddy Pete talk about Chomsky. I don't know why that is. It's not on the tip of Pete's tongue very often. I wonder if there are some ideological differences. I don't know. I'd love to find out, and I'd love to find out what it is that Chomsky even believes. And hey, I got an idea. Let's talk about postmodernism. Is there any truth in it? Who can say? Pete, how are you? <laughs> that was brilliant. Well done. I didn't know Run, Run the Jewels uh, mentioned Chomsky. So yeah, of course that's your interest. I'm reading Chomsky. I'm reading Bukowski. I'm laying low for a week. I said something on behalf of my people and I popped up in WikiLeaks. See, I know all the rap. This is just going to be me oh. reciting uh, rap lyrics. Anyway. <laughs> that's where you get all of your academic uh, stuff <laughs> it from. It really is, right? yeah. <laughs> Uh, so well, who is he? And I know Chomsky's a linguist, and I know Chomsky. I watched a twelve-minute clip of him. I've seen uh, him badmouth people like uh, Lacan. I've heard him talk about postmodernists as people who no one understands what they're talking about. I think that's humorous. I think he's not entirely wrong. But uh, people like Foucault, who seem, am I saying what? How do you say his name? Foucault. Uh, Foucault. 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 Uh, Foucault seems like a charming. Uh, French intellectual with no shortage of ego uh, when <laughs> I watched briefly the debate. And so what are these looks guys' very positions? Cool. He's a very cool guy. Fuku. Very cool yeah. guy. Yeah, <laughs> very uh, very Bond villainy and uh, seems very, I'd like to hang out with him. But these this postmodern business, everybody makes a big hoopla <laughs> out of it. It used to be all the rage in the 80s. Now apparently not so much, but the remnants of it are still with us. Uh, what's what's Chomsky's thing, and how does it fit in with uh, the unconscious? Yeah, well, I thought when you mentioned this, I thought that you're trying to be edgy and kind of of the moment because it was only ten years ago when Chomsky dissed Shizek, and I thought yes. ten years has passed. Now you wanna you wanna jump into that very. I got something to say. <laughs> yep, because uh, you know we don't like to do anything too uh, topical, but there no, was a no. moment. Yeah, it must have been 10 years ago, and Chomsky was asked, he might have said this a few places, but it was on a podcast, I remember, and he was asked, what does he think about Slavio Zizek? And he was like, I don't think anything of him. I say, he's just, he's posturing, it's empty theory. When you strip away the big words, you're kind of left with nothing. And they said, well, what do you think of Lacan? And he was like, well, you know, I actually knew Lacan a little bit. He was a very interesting guy, quite charismatic, but a complete charlatan. And uh, the person actually said, well, would you ever have a, you know, a discussion with Shizek? Uh, you know, you're both of the left and, you know, you're both interested in some similar things. And Chomsky, you know, being a bit of a grumpy old man by this stage was just like, nope, wouldn't want to talk to him. Uh, and he said, and I think probably Shizek would feel the same way, but. But Shizek was a little bit nicer in his response. So that's it. But did you hear about that? Uh, yes. Dis I yeah. am, 
and I'm more interested in the petty drama than I am <laughs> in what their ideas are. And I want to put that on Absolutely. the table before we get too deep into this. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, so that was the shots fired, and that was kind of interesting because people have a lot of respect for Chomsky, um, or have had, and you know, and. Uh, also, you know, there's a lot of respect for Shizek, so this was a big deal among some people. Um, and then Shizek's response was, he just did a very brief response as well in a, in a, I think it was a talk, someone asked him about it, and he did have some interesting things to say. Uh, he, first thing he said was, um, he said, well, you know, Chomsky loves, you know, good American pragmatist. He likes empirical evidence, scientific evidence. Yes. Um, doesn't like all of this theory crap. You know, he likes theory, but he thinks all of this continental French European theories all just kind of big words, empty. Uh, but Shizek said, but um, Chomsky, who loves empiricism and loves kind of, you know, to use em empirical predictions, um, doesn't realize that actually uh, you can find what's going to happen in the world by listening to people's theory. So he uses the example of the Khmer Rouge, uh, where he said there was a point where Chomsky was defending the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia, defending what they were doing. And eventually it came out the Khmer Rouge or, you know, was very bloody and violent party and, you know, thousands and thousands of deaths on their hands. And Chomsky's response was, well, at the time that I was defending them, there wasn't the empirical evidence, you know, the murders, the deaths, all of that didn't exist. And Shizek's response was, but you didn't need the empirical evidence. It was all in the theory. It was all in what they were saying. It was how they were organized. And so that was the first thing she says is, you know, theory can often tell you what's empirically going to happen. If you, you know, you don't need to think that you don't have to wait till Hitler starts killing Jews to know that that's potentially on the cards from looking at Mein Kampf. By looking at kind of the words, you can kind of sometimes get a sense of where it's going. And then secondly... Yeah, he said, um, he said, you know, a lot of these guys like Chomsky kind of seem to imply that ideology is dead. You know, all of this ideological critique, forget about that. Just look at the facts, expose the truth, uh, show how, say, big corporations are amounting so much power and money or influencing governments or are lying behind the scenes or manipulating us with the media. Show people that stuff. Forget about ideology. And, um, She's X point on that is, well, actually, ideology is alive and well. You can't just show people the truth because people act against their own self-interest. People act in denial. People get caught up in things. So she's X going, the, the ideology critique and the theory of ideology critique is still alive and well. And then thirdly, uh, he responded to Chomsky's thing that, oh, these are just popular fads. These are just kind of, you know, academic fads. By Shizek pointed out, and I think there's some truth to this, that actually they're not that popular. I mean, Shizek is very well known, but actually um, very sidelined in the university, very sidelined in the mainstream, often, often ridiculed as a bit of a clown, um, and then paradoxically also is incredibly dangerous. So symptomatically, you're, you're a clown who's, you know, not to be taken seriously and also incredibly dangerous. So, you know, Shizek's going, you know... Um, that was his kind of like off the cuff response to Chomsky. So that was the initial uh, beef between the two of them. Like I'm living rent free in your head. That phrase. <laughs> you know, that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, you should have just said that. <laughs> yeah, I like to, and I know it was ten years ago, so I don't know if that phrase was all the rage then. But uh, 
I mean, that's yeah. okay. All right. And so, so Zizek, so ideology, and then so, um, Falcout, uh, yes, he makes this point, and this is where I feel like, you know, I get the general stances. What, what, how do we mix these, these ideas together yeah, so yeah. that it's not so like, isn't it true that sometimes there's a little bit of a, I don't know, masturbatory cadence to a lot of the, yeah intellectual postmodern stuff and isn't it true that you do that theory is beneficial on a material level sometimes why can't we all get along pete yes well that very beautifully said sir <laughs> um i, I i'm an enlightened what... centrist i believe yes ah uh, oh dear the worst you'll get shot by booth if he <laughs> yeah. ever gets into par you're going to be against the wall um, yep yeah so th this this famous debate um, happened in 1971 in the Netherlands, as you know, between Foucault and Chomsky. And this was probably, it's one of the most famous debates, public debates that, that is around. It's kind of almost like the way um, the Shizek-Peterson debate was this massive thing and people were buying tickets. You know, this is a big deal. Chomsky and yeah. Foucault, two intellectual superstars, both kind of on the left, but both very different. And actually, I re-listened to, I haven't listened to that debate for 20 years. In fact, there was part of me wondering whether I ever had listened to it um, or just knew about it. So when I watched it today, I thought it was amazing. Very interesting. They were very respectful of each other. It was an interesting conversation. Yeah, it was lovely. And, and it wasn't this kind of thing of, oh, Foucault destroyed Chomsky or Chomsky murdered Foucault. Like it would be right. if it was a YouTube debate today. It was like two people discussing really interesting issues. And I think everything about the continental analytic divide and everything about uh, Chomsky's criticism of post-structuralism and vice versa is all very subtly in this debate. So if, if we go through it, there's four parts to it. I think it'll really clarify Chomsky's issue with continental philosophy and i think why he's wrong so this is yeah. i mean <laughs> this is what brings in the money pete let's get started yes <laughs> yep absolutely i t i put in the chat gbt today how do you make a boring <laughs> philosophy podcast popular yeah. and it's, its response was yes <laughs> it says it is very difficult to make an esoteric philosophy podcast popular however here are some <laughs> tips <laughs> For it. Thank you, ChatGPT. Um, Thank you, ChatGPT. Yeah. So yeah, the, the debate was in four parts. The first part was about human nature. The second part was about um, science. The third part about ideal society. And the fourth part about justice. And these all build on each other. So they're all actually really intertwined. Um, so do you want me to go ahead and talk about the first part and what they're discussing? And then we'll just do all yep. four parts. So the first part, uh, that's where Chomsky kind of outlines very, in a very basic way his position where he says um, there is a human nature. And yes. what human nature is, is we acquire language. Uh, there's something innate within us that even though we're not even taught it very well, you know, sometimes we're just listening to language, the babies, it's not systematic, it's not like they're in school, but they're surrounded by signifiers. And the, the infant is able to bring those signifiers in to kind of use them and also to be creative with them to kind of find themselves in language and be able to do creative stuff with that language so Foucault starts and goes so there is something and he calls it kind of human nature something that is that is that we all share as human beings 
and Fuku's response, which is very subtle and nope, very simple. What's that? Is new? Nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah, I assume he's going to be like, nope. I right out of nope. the gate, I disagree. I disagree. That would be if it was today, but this is very, very yeah. uh, subtle. And he just said, you know, he used the example in science and biology. He said, where some scientific theories solve problems and kind of give us insight, and some articulate a, a new series of problems and a new series of questions. And he said, you know, what we're linguistics doesn't necessarily solve a lot of problems. It opens up a new field of inquiry. And so what Foucault's very subtly saying is, let's not use the term human nature uh, in, a, in a substantive way. Like this thing about language is really interesting and Chomsky, you're doing something really, really cool. But I'm wary of using this term human nature as if it's a substantive thing. Like we have something within us that's, that's substantively human. As if there's a universal human nature that is at the base of all of every human's actions. Because yeah. there's no way, because the human natures that we all have are so informed by outside factors that it to, to, to willy-nilly say that there's one sort of platonic human nature is not the case. Is that what he's saying? Yeah. And that's it. And this becomes, by, by the time you get to the end, it becomes kind of clear what he's saying. But that is kind of the subtle thing. Like he's almost saying that every time someone tries to describe what human nature is, there's self-interest, there's power behind it. That The definition of human nature uh, reflects the scientific discourse of the time. It reflects the economic conditions of the time. It reflects who's in power. And it's almost like, like and this is the subtle thing, Chomsky's not saying that, that there isn't this universal ability to use language. But what he's kind of saying is, as soon as you make it some substantive claim, you're in danger of reflecting the values of, of the given society. It, you start, it's, it becomes dangerous. Yeah. The, but that's the, very subtly he's saying that. You can't say in a vacuum. It's going to be contaminated with these other things. Yeah. Like, and so, I mean, he doesn't say this, and, and Foucault's got a different view to, to Lacan here, but you could almost say that Foucault was saying that, that there's something about language that isn't substantive. It's almost like there's a, a questioning that, that, that provokes language. So, you know, we speak because we want to understand, because we are trying to grasp the world. And so it's not that we have a substantive human nature. It's more that we are all marked by a question. But as soon as you try to say exactly what human nature is, that's where you get into trouble. Okay. 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 Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. But that's, yeah, so that's the least interesting one. That kind of, as I say, it gets progressively more insightful as it goes along. You see, the, you see where this is going. So, because the second one, more controversially, is uh, where Foucault says that our view of science. Oh, and here's the thing Chomsky in all of these is kind of representing the common sense view. So, very common sense to say, oh, there's a human nature, there's something we can say about what it is to be human. Yeah. The second is quite a common sense position, which is um, that science gets us closer to the truth, that there is a revelatory dimension to science. And as we develop more sophisticated techniques, um, better technology, 
uh, we kind of like, we hone our theories. Uh, we get to know the universe in deeper and more complex ways. And Foucault controversially says nope. that. Wrong says, again. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Yep. Good stop. You're right there. Yeah. He, um, he wants to say, he, he doesn't want to say that science is relativistic, but he kind of wants to say, and he does use the term grid. He says, a, science, a discourse is like a grid that reveals the world, but it also conceals it. So biology reveals the world in a certain way. Chemistry reveals the world in a certain way. Poetry and physics, they all, they all reveal the world in different ways. And they also conceal the world in various ways. So whenever you're looking at the world from a biological position, you know, you, there's a dimension. You miss of, everything. Of real, you miss poetry. Yes. Yeah. You miss poetry. So all of these different discourses reveal and conceal the world. And so Foucault's going, like, if we go with this purely objectivist notion of science, again, he's going, uh, listen, the people in power are the ones who are going to pretend that they own it and say, and speak in the, you know, whenever they speak, uh, uh, as an avatar of science, the science says, "I am science." So, and he says, "It will be, be very careful." Again, uh, scientific discourse does reveal the world, and it also conceals the world. And there's power dynamics: who's funding the research, where is it coming from, uh, who does it benefit? All of these questions, Foucault wants to throw in mm -hmm. the mix. It is interesting because it's like I can see why the eye rolls come in a little bit from when you're like, <laughs> no, it's not that like it's the, you know, and it's I can see why on one hand, why it's a fascinating line of inquiry. And on the other hand, why some the common sense view for so many people is like, ah, whatever. Like, I mean, especially, too, if you're starting to talk about society and structuring society politically, then I get the idea or the frustration of like relying so heavily on these theories and the realization that you know certain things are going to benefit the powerful uh at the expense like using that as an excuse to not make you know to not to then throw out science altogether or throw out policies that materially yes. benefit people so it's a uh, yes, yes i can see why people are like why are you even bringing this up if what people need right now is more important than what whatever the actual concealments of reality is going on does that make it yeah no absolutely and that's, like, that's one another of the, argument yeah yeah and that's and like you know uh chomsky's critique outside of this would be someone like foucault is kind of like everything it's it leads to a form of relativism and a form of not being able to act you know you kind of like almost it's impotence at it least impotence yeah, because yeah. you're always questioning and you're questioning what's right and what's wrong and what's just and unjust and you don't, you know, you don't take a stand. So yeah, that's the, that's Chomsky's worry is all of this stuff of questioning science is like, it doesn't, it just leads to more passive uh, civilization, more passive citizens. Wow. Uh, yeah, great. Totally. And I, I think some of that's true. I mean, like Foucault in some ways is a lot about showing how, you know, every discourse like psychiatry to the church, to medicine, to the judicial system are all, um, all confining, restricting, negative things. But when you kind of almost, whenever you're reading him, it's like, yeah, everything is basically, uh. Uh, yeah, <laughs> is, 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 uh, yeah, is repressing us and oppressing us in different ways. Um, yeah. And then, of course, Chomsky would be annoyed because you go like, well, you have to have a view. And, he, and Chomsky says this actually in the fourth part, but you kinda, he says you have to have a vision of, the, of justice. 
You have to have a vision of an ideal society to work towards, but Fuku wants to reject that. He wants to say, no, 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 that's, mm-hmm. that's actually the problem. Um, which is part three, actually. Yeah, like, so part three is exactly where they talk about ideal society. And, you know, Chomsky here says, you have to have an idea of the type of society you want. He's an anarcho-syndicalist. He has a view of kind of how society should run. And Foucault, and what this is, that? is where Foucault... Or, anarcho-syndicalist. What does that mean? Yeah. Uh, so basically... Anarcho-syndicalism is direct democracy, so the people, like uh, uh, unions and workers own the means of production, vote and decide things in small syndicates, small groups, no big government, uh, no, so the state is pretty much um, done away with, or, you know, so whereas in Marxism, there's a real rule for the state, for government, anarcho-syndicalists kind of want to get rid of all of that, and it's small you know, small groups kind of, I say, vote on how to run a business or what to do in order, in terms of running the society, everyone gets a vote. Um, so that's kind yep. of narco-syndicalism. And, and this is where, this is where Foucault, uh, you know, it says something more. He's been very subtle in the first two sections. This section, he comes out and he says, no, no, he says, he says, first of all, I don't have a view of what an ideal society is. And then he basically says, um, and that and and having one of those is the problem. Whenever you have an an ideal version of how society should run, that really just reflects something of the values of the current system. And Foucault then gives his alternative political position. He basically says, uh, "Politics is not giving ideal worlds. That's what Stalin did. That's what like that's what that's what the twentieth century did. They all had grand visions about how society should run, and that all falls into disaster." Foucault says politics should just expose how uh, the current systems are in favor of the few over the masses. And if you can expose how the power of society is in the hands of very few um, and you continue to expose that, then the workers will become more and more dissatisfied with that and overthrow the minority and then power will be more evenly distributed. But he, but he says, but I don't know what that's going to look like. That's just, the, the role is just to show where power is, is kind of held and kind of exposed. So the, all the power could be completely inverted to the masses and it still would not in any way produce a society that's necessarily better. Yeah, so that, that's actually was Chomsky's point. Chomsky said, well, this, and this brought, brought up, brings us actually to the fourth section. Ch- Chomsky's kind of going, well, hold on. Um, if, if it's just about exposing power and then new people taking power, then you're just repeating the same problem. What's, be- what's, what's better about that, right? So you've got like yeah. one group that has power and then some other group rises up, takes over, and it's the same show, just different faces. Uh, and Foucault makes the argument, he doesn't make the argument in detail, but he wants to say that by definition, if the working class rise up, uh, he wants to say that um, that will be more equitable. Like that's because basically the working class is it because the working class becomes everybody. So if the working class yeah. rise up and take the means of production, then without any theory of justice, you're just going, it's going to be better because because uh, it's direct democracy. It's kind of everybody has a say. That, that, that's because, but Chomsky's kind of rejecting that and going, no, you have to have a theory of justice. You have to have an ideal. You can't just, you can't just say that, you have to expose power structures and that's all you have to do. 
Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, I mean, you're I'm really blowing. Uh, this here. is great stuff. This is this is what's that? <laughs> oh yeah, I'm I'm kind of more with Foucault in that than Chomsky because I always worry that when people do have ideal visions of what society should look like, you know, those are dangerous people. You know. Um, you can just say my name, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I know exactly what society should look like. Um, yeah. and uh, I because it looks like um how it is in the game Zelda. There is a um multiple different types of sit of um towns that you can roam around in, but there is a cl- a, a dreadful evil that is infecting all of the land. And so you have to then go kill that evil. Um, but you also can wait as much time as you want before doing that and roam around and still just be fighting like little bits of evil here and there. So while you're never structurally fixing what's going on in Hyrule, you are walking through the land and, and grow, you're gaining more strength. You're becoming a better uh, uh, fighter. Um, a better hero of time, as it were. And so I think that's what an ideal society is, where there is a giant looming threat all the time that you kind of just ignore until you feel like it. Very good. Yes, that, that's what people say. It's like fair trade. <laughs> uh, you know, fair trade. The system, there's a big overarching horrible system. Yes. But if we do little small things that are good, it actually perpetrates it because we keep it not being so insufferably exactly. bad. <laughs> that yes. It keeps going for it. Yeah, that's good. Well, yeah. I think if more... If there was more diversity in commercials, for example, that yes, that is the main issue. Yes, that's the main <laughs> issue. Yes, uh, specifically Dove commercials or whatever, um, Dove for men. Uh, so what? So okay, he gets into this ideal of justice. I like having an ideal of justice, and I also here's my question to you, Pete. This mm-hmm. this, this Falcout's ideal uh, mm-hmm. or or lack of having an ideal for justice. Um, do you, as uh, someone who, who has this sort of Lacanian background, do you think it is possible for someone to say that they don't have some kind of ideal of justice, whether it is, like, well-defined or whatever? I have a hard time believing that even Fuacult uh, didn't have some level of, like, in the back of his mind, amorphous idea. Mm-hmm. That he's sort of going like, oh, I don't have an idea. Like, well, I bet you do a little bit, right? Uh, well, yeah, and funnily enough, there is a point in the debate. It's a very small point, but it kind of touches, I think, on what you're saying, or it might. Let's see if it does. But where the interviewer is asking Foucault why he doesn't talk about his own personal interests and his personal life. Now, Foucault had a very, uh, very interesting personal life. Like he was, he knew how to party. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, um, but uh, Foucault kind of gets a bit frustrated by this question, um, and I, I, I feel the same way. Um, but in that, Foucault's going like, it doesn't matter what I think. In other words, like, of course I have my own personal views about life and my own personal views about well, how my life would be better or how society would be better. But he's going, but that's not what we're doing in this public forum. We're, we're trying to work out, you know, how society operates, how progress happens or doesn't, how how change occurs, trying to figure out those mechanisms. Um, and of course, we all have our own personal preferences or personal ideas, but, you know, Foucault's like, but that's not, that's not interesting. So that, I think that was way, Foucault's way of going, yes, of course, yeah, we all have these views, but actually that's very much what we have to protect ourselves against in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So like for Foucault, and this is where he's, he is a lot of people today, like him, a lot of identity politics people like Foucault, because Foucault, he actually says this in the debate. He says the role of the, the political activist is to expose how seemingly universal objective things like human nature, science, uh, ideal society and justice to show that they really benefit only a small number of people. To show that, that they're those... weapons of the state. Yes, they exactly. Are, they're riverbeds <laughs> of libidinal power dispersed by the 1% showered, raining down upon the weak masses who only will rise up when the powers at B are exposed for their implicit horrors, in which they perpetrate on everyone. <laughs> Very well said, yes. And that's exactly, yeah, that's, that's where that view comes from. So Foucault is the reason why he is the darling of um, a certain type of politics today. Um, and of course, I've said before in this podcast, but, um, but it, in light of Foucault, the thing I want to add to that is that there is a universal, but the universal is negativity or death drive or the unconscious. They, so it's not that there is a substantive universal nor is it there is no universal there's just power and flows of power and resistances of yeah. power which is kind of Foucault thing but rather there is actually something we all share and it's uh it's lack itself and you have to build a political program around that but that's not what they were talking about so that's that's, that's the Lacanian yeah. that's your your plug yeah. that's your Lacanian plug right yes okay. yes <laughs> um yeah someone's got to get some PR people for uh going for some of these guys some of these ideas Foucault Foucault Lacan I cannot get his name and I'm refusing to even uh, I know you're refusing to even try I like that <laughs> yeah and that's that's my yeah. motto um so, so I, when I, some people say I don't know do you watch a little bit of it but some people I think thought that like you know Chomsky really won or something one is I thought they were both very respectful just having a good conversation but I thought Foucault came across pretty well in this. I don't know. Like, yeah. I thought, in my back of my head, I thought people really felt Foucault didn't didn't come out looking good, but I thought he looked he looked pretty good. Thought, in the twelve minutes I saw while I was laying in bed, as soon as I woke up, I thought um, one, both of them, I, they just seemed like highly articulate, incredibly intelligent individuals, and like you're saying, mm -hmm. there wasn't a lot of hooping and hollering either. It was like you could actually yes. listen to these guys talk, and then. Both of them were able to like succinctly reply to the other one, even though there's a language barrier uh, the whole time, which mm -hmm. is just like crazy to me. And uh, and still like be friendly and direct. It was very nice. It was like no, um, not a lot of hot air between them. Just very, yeah, very tight. It was still. It, it was an English speaker and a French speaker in a Danish speaking country. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. 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 Great. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I just got a text from my dad. So, if, uh, my, I was telling Pete before the podcast started that, um, my parents are in Belfast and they're on a cruise, except my dad has COVID and now has, uh, he just said he's looking at Ireland, uh, looking at Belfast and he will not like, he's happy to be able to see it, but he will never set foot on it. Apparently. Oh, that's <laughs> so depressing. Uh, Cause I would love to bring yeah. them out. So I say, say to your mom, oh, yeah, I didn't, yeah. he, Elliot just literally told me this before. We went on. His parents are actually here. I'm like, my goodness, I'll show them around. So if your mum wants uh, to see, yeah, yeah, Pete can see the 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 cruise ship from his home, which is cute. Yeah, <laughs> you're closer to my parents than I am, Pete, in more ways than one. Yes, um, I was going to say, <laughs> literally so and figuratively. Is... Chomsky is does a bunch of stuff in linguistics. He's not. He does the common yeah. sense thing. He's got his idea of justice. He says we need to strive for it. Science gives us access to truth. Yada yada yada. 
this mm. postmodern business, this whole yes, everything's yes. up for grabs with Falcao. <laughs> he's got this. Uh, it, it it it. Do you like you're saying it? Does it not over overly muddy the waters so much that it it does the very thing? It obscures more than reveals as a result of being so. Uh, like lattice work like like it's everything so connected to everything that you start seeing the connections and the and more so than you see everything else behind it i'm reading this book or excuse me i'm about to start reading this book listening rather called elite capture and it's by a guy whose name i can't pronounce and i want to talk about it on the podcast at some point because i found him in an interview and it's about how identity politics was stolen by um the powerful uh mm-hmm. oops <laughs> just started stop um yeah how the powerful took over identity politics and everything else and it sounds like a similar uh argument to what Foucault yeah. said and and there is i like i don't know much about this i have to look into it but there's all of this interesting debate even conspiracy theory but it might be true that like the cia partly were funding some of these postmodern journals in france really? because uh yeah, so there is, I think that part is actually true that there is, and I think, well, the argument that some people make, and forgive me, I haven't gone into this in detail, but that uh, CIA were really kind of promoting a lot of the postmodern stuff, uh, bec- precisely because it kind of was an, it kind of led to a lot of confusion and a lot of uh, impotence within the left. <laughs> um, Whoa. So, yeah, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. That sounds like one of the funniest things. That sounds very funny. (laughs) Yeah, I know. The whole whole system or the whole thought process of of sticking it to the man and and redistributing power was being funded by by the state, like, potentially. Yes. Do you think this is true? Well, there's some, there's some, I need to look into the, the background of it but there's it's definitely true in the sense of i remember some adverts coming out an advert for the cia came out a few years ago and an advert for the army and i saw both of these adverts that they were they completely bought into kind of woke and identitarian politics one of them was this i think it was a lesbian black woman who was telling her story uh and she was a missile operator for you know the american military and the, with the cia one was very similar and um, now th- that's actually different, but that shows how you, that's what you're saying is like there's a co-opting of these ideas because potentially they're not uh, they don't they're about they're not about redistribution they're about representation. In other words, it's not about changing the system. It's about it's just about getting more diverse figures in the system. Like in that famous Lisa Simpson quote, you know the problem with society is there's not enough female billionaires, right? It's, so it's like yeah. it doesn't it doesn't critique the system. It just kind of um, uh, you know, kind of like changes the faces. So that's one of the arguments of this is, yeah, it's not, it doesn't have political legs. And I'm not a Foucaultian, so I, I, I used to be a post-structuralist of sorts, and I think there's something true to all of that. I think, I think it does lack teeth. Yeah, I think um, the argument I heard was the same structural problems that lead to um, the, the, these, the, the need for some kind of identity pot one are the argument being identity politics have been around for ever uh, and the other mm-hmm. argument is that identity politics specifically uh the the need for them is still r- stems from the very class structural issues that underlie 
the economy. Like the it's all the same. It all goes back to the same power dynamics where it all gets yeah. funneled toward the top. And so it was some sort of like slight the class reductionist argument of the left where everything goes down to class is like true, but also that the fact that it goes down to class ultimately doesn't mean that those things still do not you know create all this these other kinds of inequalities i guess does that argument hold water with you does that even make sense that's what i i don't know i'm always trying to wrap my head around this and and make sure i just want to make sure everyone likes me so that's my (laughs) yes well you've lost that battle um (laughs) they say they say that actually some people have made the argument there's there's one author who argued this i forget her name but had that identity of politics was um pretty much invented in northern ireland not not invented in terms of theoretically but invented as a political tool um and because so i grew up during the troubles it was very identity politics and what you ended up doing is people were fighting about catholics and protestant and all of that when really the issue was economic and and, uh, there was a lot of like so working class protestants and working class catholics had more in common than a working class protestant with a middle class protestant but because everything was about identity uh what what church what religion and the irony is this was not even people with different skin color this was literally all kind of white guys talking about catholicism and protestantism not even two different religions this isn't even islam and christianity this is literally are you a protestant or a catholic um and everything and yeah and it it kind of was it kind of destroyed us we were in a 30-year war and it was only when we, in 1998, put down our weapons and kind of realized that we had more in common than what divided us and that there were all these economic problems that we had to address and that you know, change could happen. So there is a real interesting connection between Northern Ireland and identity politics. And I think that's what worries me so much. When I lived in America, I was like, oh, I've seen this before. Oh, like I've seen where this goes. I lived through this, you know, this increasing yeah. division. Yeah. Um, it's always legitimate um, it's always justified oh i keep going yeah good 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 point um the the chomsky thing people i i kind of will see him pop up and the responses are usually like not he doesn't seem to be super popular these days and i don't know what the no. deal is and I, I don't i'm not in this like i don't follow him much but i don't get in either direction when i hear him talk sometimes i'm just like the worst I can say is he's kind of boring a little bit. Like I think he's mm-hmm. he's smart, but he it does kind of make me go like, eh, okay, like maybe that's the common sense thing, but maybe that's what the criticism is. I don't know why people don't like him. What's your besides? Yeah, like it's like a vitriolic. There's like a personal like ah this kind of thing, and I'm like I don't know, but maybe that's just how people are with all these people. I don't know. Well, that's true as well. I, but it is it is interesting because he used to be, and he is like you know people respect Chomsky and. I, you know, respect him and from the past, but I, I have not been impressed by his recent stuff. I mean, he's not, I'm not saying because he's very sharp still, but, you know, he's like very elderly. He's, you know, uh, making comments about things like including my friend Danny's here is reminding me about, you know, make comments about kind of like tech technology and stuff. And I just feel he's not his fingers, not as on the pulse as it used to be. But yeah, the big thing, one, one of the things for me that I don't know whether this is why uh maybe i find him not very interesting in yourself is he does not have any space for the unconscious he doesn't have any space for death drive he doesn't so there's a there's a dimension to chomsky and it's in that 1971 seminar one where he thinks that 
we can talk substantively about things and, and it, I think we can as well but in a very particular way but you can talk substantively this is what justice is this is what the ideal society is bam 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 here's anarcho-syndicalism this is how things should run and and this idea that it, all we need to do is is present people with the better uh ideas and give people knowledge and people when they're educated will kind of like you know see the truth um one of the things that i think people liked about the the psychoanalysts when they started doing political theory was that they were saying we often act against our own self-interest we often we can know the good that we should do and we don't do it that there's a a dimension a self-destructive dimension to us and so the old liberal notion of just educating people is not enough. We have to somehow understand and work with this dimension that people often vote against their own self-interest. They often act against the interests of their community. And uh, you don't have any of that in Chomsky. Chomsky is kind of just this very old school kind of showing some really good things like the, the violence of the, you know, the industrial war machine and you know, bringing up some important stuff there. But um, I just don't think, because he kind of doesn't really do theory, uh, I, th I think he misses a whole dimension of political life. It seems like it also means that the critiques that he can offer for, say, maybe the right would have no, uh, not a lot of water. It was just that it sounds like it'd be that whole thing of like, well, they're just clearly all bad. Like all the people on the other side of the political spectrum must be bad because yeah. if you have no, like, no death drive, no, like, nuance for people acting in their own best interest then when you see people voting in a way you disagree with you i guess your only conclusion has to be that they're just straight up wrong <laughs> Jay, yes I mean, you get that fine, yeah <laughs> but you get you get that in chomsky you kind of feel like it's non-dialectical it's like you know there's now uh, this is simply he wouldn't say it quite like this but sometimes you do feel that he's got there's the goodies and the baddies you know there's the ones so there's people saying yeah. get vaccinated and the baddies who don't you know not not seeing how these can be different forms of enjoyment and different forms of being intertwined and and yeah so and i always i i worry about that type of approach you know yeah, because if you look at the, I mean, it reminds me of, you're talking about the co-opting of something like identity politics, and then on the right you have the co-opting of, like, religious life or fundamentalist stuff, which leads, I'm assuming, is related to what your early work was on, so much of the deconstruction stuff that people mm -hmm. still love very much and uh, are still, I'm always fascinated by because it is a whole world out there. It's been interesting to talk with, like, Grace sometimes about, she didn't grow up religious or anything like that um in any substantial way and seeing the kinds of uh the worlds of people deconstructing from their their faith and how it very much like ties into their political shifts as well it's all very like um interesting to kind of have to explain and show because it's so it's very complex and you do see that there's all of these reasons behind it. it's not just that people are dumb it's or you know that they are uh, bad it just is uh, there's so many factors it's crazy yeah and, and people do kind of like i mean even if you disagree with Foucault uh and saying you know like okay there's power behind everything right maybe maybe somebody doesn't want to go that far but 
but also to go like whenever people leave sometimes religious conservatism but they they can buy into some other thing like commodity satisfaction or um uh, sexual poly sexual in, uh, liberation or psychedelic enlightenment nothing wrong with any of these things but if that just becomes the new this is the vision um then you know in one sense you're potentially going okay are we still caught up in thinking that we have a substantive vision of the future now i do the same thing so i i'm guilty as well but what i try to remind myself is in northern ireland with the peace process it wasn't a progressive thing it was an apocalyptic thing um we literally didn't know what the future would look like we just knew that it, it couldn't go on like this all we all there was so much violence and destruction and we all had to sit down and go right I'm going to lay down my vision of this, of the perfect society, that United Ireland, where we stay part of the UK or, you know, the dismantling of the police force or not, right? I have to lay down my vision of the, of what should happen in Northern Ireland and engage in this conflictual back and forth and negotiate and navigate something. And that was a very successful peace process, but it was apocalyptic in the sense that you didn't know what the future looked like. So an apocalypse is, yeah, an event and you don't know what's on the other side of it. Um, and that's kind of what Foucault was saying. He's going like, you know, whenever progressives, they can love you, but they know where the future's going. So if you disagree with them, they can patronize you or whatever, but they know what the future looks like. And Foucault wants to say something always dangerous about saying, I know. Um, now, of course, I do know, but, um, but nobody else does. Yes. And that's, that's the true. problem. Yep. Yep. That is... That is your problem. You are correct. Yeah. Um, that the problem is that you are correct, um, and that is unfortunate. I was thinking what came to uh, my mind was a certain irony of the sort of not knowing what the future looks like, and this idea of images. And I thought about the Titanic and this essay I read on the idea of Titanism and the sort of imageless power that can overtake people at times, and the future being that sort of Titanic imageless thing that. It's bearing down on us all the time. And then it, I remembered that the Titanic was built literally right behind you where my parents yeah, are hanging out. Yeah, where right your parents are. Nights. They, can, they yeah. can see the Titanic Museum. Your dad will never set foot in it, but they <laughs> yeah, are right. Exactly. <laughs> where Very it was funny. built. Yeah. Um, and th this, is, like, this is what an event is. An event is the happening of something that you cannot see. So there's things that we can predict. There's things that we know are going to potentially kind of happen. But an event is when something either in our own lives like falling in love or something, but also politically, some conflict, something happens and it just reconfigures everything. And at yeah. the time you couldn't have imagined it, but retroactively you can kind of fit it in. But at the time it's like, whoa, um, yeah. that's kind of apocalypse. Apocalypse is the politics of the event. And Foucault was more, more representing that. And I say, I'm not a Foucaultian, but for Foucault, everything is par. That's his thing really. It's like, yeah, uh, yeah. That's what I yeah, place where, and, but but his politics is indirect because he kind of says indirectly, as you see how power flows, and as you see how some people have all of it and other people have virtually none of it, um, that creates a, a productive antagonism that eventually, hopefully, um, ends up with power being more equally distributed. So that's what Foucault is arguing, I think, in a nutshell. But you can't get equal power, right, Pete? You can't have that with so many yeah. people. We have too many people. How do you gonna? Who's? How do you enforce that? You have to have some sort of a big state, some sort of an army. 
that keeps everyone equal and makes sure that they don't own anything and they can't then if they want jobs that are outside of like the what they are specifically needed to do to ensure the equality of everyone they're not allowed to do that i'm trying to come up with a name for this but i think it's a good yes. idea and i think it's it sounds like a very brave new world yeah i like it, it sounds like a brave new world <laughs> yeah yeah uh so yeah what What's is the brave so new world you, yeah oh that well that's that's basically what that is you're describing well it was it wasn't by force it was by um everybody whenever you were born you're kind of given chemicals and you know either the chemicals nice. made you a bit dumb so that you could work be a worker or you'd be smart but but everything was controlled so you would have your place in society um nice and be happy you would own nothing and be happy as you'll they own say. nothing and you'll be happy yeah. I was um, thinking, by the way, that, that some, you know, although Foucault is very much beloved uh, by kind of a certain form of contemporary kind of what's called leftism, I think a lot of people on the right could like Foucault as well, because a lot of people on the right have a real sensitivity to how university and government and corporations can be manipulating us and media can manipulate us. Yes. So when I was watching it, I was like, actually, it's not that, you know, people on the right or left would kind of have different feelings of Foucault, I think they could all find something they would agree with in Foucault, which is in different, they may see different kind of like um, guilty parties, but uh, on both sides of the political divide in America, I think people are quite aware of how um, supposedly neutral or benevolent institutions can actually hide very nefarious uh, desires. Would you say that though, that Foucault would say that that's because that it goes back to power whereas those uh on the right would probably be it's rather than being an excess of power sort of a lack of um justice or lack of moral like they they there's an inherent distrust of academia or um, a lot of expertise in on the right where they don't believe anything they don't there's that there is that like postmodern. there's no such thing as truth but it seems like the reason they don't believe anything is because there's an nefarious darkness to these institutions whereas Foucault would say it's all just a result of unequal power is that yeah yeah although and Foucault this is the funny thing like all the things you just said there used to be on the left like the left used to be you know pretty yep. skeptical of the university definitely of corporations definitely of the military industrial complex definitely of educational judicial systems and so it's kind of funny that um that some of those, so I don't know what Foucault would think of this in some respects. He might be quite surprised, but, um, cause yeah, but you're right. Foucault doesn't see power as good or bad. And that's someone like Jordan Peterson says this, like, you know, Foucault thinks it's all about like power and powerlessness. And, but Foucault in a way he's saying no power is not good or bad. It just is like, he's a kind of Nietzschean in that way. It's just all there is in reality, not just in us, but in being itself is a will and, a, and that will can is kind of like focused in different ways and can be uh come out in bad ways and good ways but really power is just um a real an ontological reality yeah. yeah um but but it's bad whenever it gets you know it gets so controlled by some group and then at the expense of others that's where it kind of becomes destructive and violent malignant yeah yeah, you know everything yeah. is good in moderation, but if there's too much of it, welcome to the fundamentalists, everyone. Where we <laughs> drop these incredible truth bombs on you. Uh, yes. it's all this stuff just wrinkles my brain. It's very fun. I don't, I don't know if you were getting. Were you going to ask what my what where I'm falling between the the chomps? Oh yes, I was. I kind of yeah. 
in the terms I of don't the, know. the whole of this. Yeah. I don't know. I I like I like the postmodern thing of of uh I think you I think each individual has the capability of trying both hot hats on at the same time. I'm not going to be a Foucaultian when I go into the voting booth. I'm going to do what mm. most benefits the material realities of people. I'm not going to be like, well, you know, I'm not going to be like a never I'm not going to vote not vote for this guy because this guy still upholds the system, if that makes any sense. I'll still vote yeah. for the guy. By yeah. that guy. By guy I mean DeSantis, but <laughs> yeah well see that's a difficult thing is like because voting would be interesting to talk about that in the next while it like, is yeah it, it well i, I I'm, there is like a i guess my because it, it's so tied into the politics stuff that where i am at I, i'm viewing this through my political brain and it is like i do feel like there's a a, a cop-out that can happen with some of this stuff where all of the sudden it's it, like maybe I kind of do agree with a little of what Chomsky says that it does get a little overly simplified. Maybe that's a, a mischaracterization of Foucault's stuff. But then at the same time, Foucault, like you're saying, opens up this whole new line of inquiry that makes total sense. And that is another way of creating um, a more what Chomsky would say justice. I don't know. It's I'm really not the person yeah. to ask, I, I think. I, okay. I, I But I. What I find impressive is you can actually talk about these things and know what what each person uh, thinks. Like I, I'm surprised we you didn't say the word deontology at some point. I expected that one to come out, and oh, I'm still right? not. I'm still confused on what that word means. Do no utilitarianism. <laughs> oh right. Ah, yes. Well, I've I've only been doing this for three decades, so exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's You've had time to it. read. Yeah. I've had time to read. I've had a lot of time to read. Um, like when I, in terms of the, in terms of Chomsky, like I, I am sympathetic. Not even sympathetic. I agree with Chomsky. Um, that that language. I mean, it's even saying agreeing is silly because it just seems. I think it is just the case. Like there is um, there is something about language that w- that is innate within us. Um, and the 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 issue for me, and I think this is what Foucault was trying to was subtly saying was for me it's just it's not substantive like language arises because something is missing <laughs> there's a human beings have an experience of a question uh, words and unknowing yeah <laughs> what's that <laughs> I said language arises because something is missing and i said was it words <laughs> <laughs> that's very good <laughs> although you know it's, uh, that's that's a very it's a very uh, niche uh, comedy set if you're yeah, doing yeah. Post, post-structuralist stand-up <laughs> yeah that's my post i was so proud of my postmodern joke who's is it true who's to say i think is uh I, I'm <laughs> absolutely gonna kill my third comedy special is gonna be just as funny um yeah Anyway, so what were you saying i cut you off there it, yes oh, a language yeah. arises from a, a lack basically that's the a lack yeah so, yeah, so if, you know, so in one way, there is some sort of universal. I think that's what Chomsky is hitting on. Chomsky's hitting on something. But I do think Foucault's right. Like, once you take that negative and then you turn it in. So if you watch the debate at first, it's just a kind of sense of we have this universal innate ability to uh, speak and speak creatively. And then by the end of the debate, Chomsky is saying, like, I know what justice is. Not completely, but we can know what justice is. And it's different from the law sometimes. And when the law isn't just, we're legally allowed to break the law. And he's making some very kind of like big statements about jurisprudence, about, you know, legal theory. And um, 
I think they are connected. I think it's interesting. He starts off with this very innocuous kind of, oh, there's a human nature, there's something. And by the end of it, he's saying, I know what ideal society looks like, anarcho-syndicalism, and I, I have a pretty good idea what justice looks like. Um, now, that's, as I say, he doesn't say that completely. He says there's always a risk when we, when we try to describe justice. There's always a risk that we do the wrong thing. But he does, you know, he does move, and that's, and that's what Foucault continues to resist in the debate. Right the way through the debate, Foucault's going, you know, let's critique, but be very wary about human nature, ideal society, a true science that gives us absolute access to reality, you know, justice. You know, those are... It's like... That's uh, what, yeah. yeah, it's like the Foucault just does this saying away, or the it's like a, um apophatic kind of deal of like you mm. can say what's wrong, but you can't be... What is it? Proscriptive? Is that the word? Where When you yeah. start saying like actively uh where to go rather than just how to course correct is that kind of yes yeah like you're right to bring in the theology so there's the cataphatic the positive what you can say and the apophatic which is you can only say what you can't say and so yet in a way Foucault is and a lot of postmodernist stuff is a type of philosophical apophatism um and the question is, and it's a big question, a bit too big for this episode, but is that can you build a positive political uh, project out of this apophatic approach? Um, and so Chomsky, I think, is saying no, ultimately no. And then Foucault is kind of saying, no, you can. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I don't, I don't see how you could, but uh, I'm not the one to... Yeah, I don't know. How, I don't know how to get very many people excited, but um, uh-huh. m- maybe I'm wrong. So well, yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe. But your evolution is a good example. Evolution does not have, you know, if you, you know, it doesn't have a teleological yes, dimension. Yeah, but but what it does is it has constant change and antagonism, and that can, over time, with a bit of luck or whatever, create complexity and diversity. So, in one sense, evolution is a is a form of non teleological biological uh development so could you apply that to the political the potential for there to be teleology and evolution is not a closed debate so i don't know if you've read Uh, a little book called uh answers in genesis (laughs) i've watched quite a lot of their stuff of late yeah (laughs) i very Uh, much enjoyed it yeah (laughs) but uh yeah that's all let let's do a little fun game here to close it out though pete Mm. if you unless you have something else because i I oh yeah no let's do it it's been, it's been a lot of years since this landmark debate between Alfred Foucault and Jeremy Chomsky. Uh, they had a lot of disagreements. It covered four sections, human nature, society, ideal society, and justice. Is that correct? Yeah, science Those was the, the second one. Sorry. Science. Yeah. I, wrote, I wrote the wrong word. I thought that was kind of lame how they made society and then ideal society. It's two separate sections. Okay, so uh, what's one sentence each? We're going to recreate the debate using... Okay. Um, our own stances on things. Uh, one, describe human nature. Pete, you first, I'll, then I'll go after you. We are all lacking subjects. Okay, great. I was going to say, you and me ain't nothing but mammals, um, would, was my answer. Uh, <laughs> science. Um, can you describe science? Uh, science uh, is a type of, uh, a, a particular type of revealing of reality that also conceals. Okay, I was going to say it's the pursuit of material truth through trial and error. Um, yep. And then there's ideal society. What do you think ideal society is? Uh, 
uh, a danger to avoid. <laughs> to, 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 don't uh, try try to avoid utopian utopianism. Okay. Um, an ideal yours? society is one in which three goddesses um, created a, a land called Hyrule and bestowed it upon the goddess Hylia, um, who was then uh, attacked by Calamity Ganon, um, who um, is currently being held in the castle by Princess Zelda. So that's Justice. either Greek mythology or a computer game. Which one's that? Is that it okay, sounds like a Greek computer mythology. game? Okay, you sound like Chomsky. Yeah. Uh, you sound like an yeah. old Chomsky talking to the computer game. <laughs> yeah, it is a computer game. You're right. Uh, justice. What What do you think justice um, is? Yeah, justice is a type of uh, regulative ideal that kind of like we never grasp, but we attempt to. Uh, uh, is a promise that we can never grasp that we, that it motivates us. Okay, I was going to say it's Motiv- when nice things happen to me, so that's close. <laughs> Brilliant. That's there's the debate. We asked had our own version of it. Yeah. I hope it gets as many hits. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this has been fun. I mean, I I like this. Uh, this is a really heady one, so I hope people enjoyed yes. it because it's not um as sexy. But I I'm I'm still. Uh, I don't know how much more I learned about Chomsky. I don't know that he's someone that I've, I'm going to dive into. Foucault, I look, I look forward to learning more about Foucault. So maybe that's a good litmus test is which one um, I'm now more interested in. And I would say Foucault. Yeah. Is it, and is it, it revived my interest in him because like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not big into him. Uh, but actually, I really enjoyed the debate. And the, yeah, so I, might, I, I always worry because I say that post-structuralist thing sometimes can, as you say, degenerate into a type of constant deferral in which, uh, um, you know, events can't happen. It's just kind of constant um, kind of play with words and yeah. l- meaning is never directly grasped and all of that. So I get that critique. But then at the end of the day, also, he's a very clear writer for the French. I mean, the French philosophers aren't very clear, but he's one of the clearer ones. Um, nice and you know yeah he it also i think it it it, it leaves out that this stuff's really fun sometimes all that little that real heady stuff when you're you know that stuff that you spent the last 30 years doing it can be fun yeah it turns out yeah huh. <laughs> all right that's all i'm just Brilliant. riffing all right um Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. And uh, if you want to support the podcast, head to patreon.com slash the fundamentalist. It helps us out. And I'm going to go uh, see if Pete can scream loud enough for my dad to hear him from his uh, ship room. I guess. Yeah. All right. All right. See you, everybody.